Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. This hour, prepare for the unexpected. You need to start by just having a plan, knowing what you need. A full hour on emergency preparedness, responding to and recovering from emergencies. The hosts for Prepared for the Unexpected are Tim Hughes and Amanda Dixon on KSL News Radio, 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. And we welcome you to this conference weekend special. Tim Hughes, along with Amanda Dixon from Utah's Morning News. And uh, great to, as always, be a part of uh, programming here on a weekend when we know so many people may be listening to KSL for the first time in a long time. We're glad you're here. Right. Well, welcome to Utah if you're just visiting. (laughs) And this hour we are dedicating to being prepared to being ready, to learning what we need to learn about efforts not only to prepare for ourselves and our families, but things that are going on all over the world. And it's something that uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has been telling its uh, members for a long, long time. And we always think of uh, food storage first and foremost, but it uh, really entails so many other things. And I don't know that we've gone through a stretch, Amanda, of years where we've had uh, the bigger example of uh, really needing to make sure we're prepared for mm-hmm. pandemics. We had an earthquake. We just celebrated, not celebrated, no, uh, Marked, but recognized yeah. uh-huh. our uh, three-year anniversary of a 5.7 quake that uh, shook everybody up. Let me say that this portion of KSL's conference special on emergency preparedness is brought to you by Be Ready Utah. And we are joined on the KSL Newsline by the Public Information Officer for the Utah Division of Emergency Management, Wade Matthews. Good morning, Wade. Good morning. Can I start by asking you about prepared, uh, getting prepared for flooding? I think so many people are thinking about sandbags and the potential for spring runoff. And, and I, are you focusing on that? Absolutely. We've been focusing on that for quite a while now, beginning with uh, uh, having local meetings with uh, having meetings with local emergency managers back on February 1st, just kind of helping everybody uh, re- review plans and procedures and start mitigation efforts and being prepared. You know, it's one thing if you live, uh, Wade, in an area where you have a stream or a river that is close by, then it's uh, always top of mind. But even in some other areas of the Wasatch Front that you might not consider, we could have problems this year. Yeah, absolutely. Wherever it snows and rains, it can flood. It doesn't matter if you're, you know, next to a river stream, blow a canyon, um, we can see flooding, and it, there's like runoff flood, flooding. We get sheet flooding where water just kind of starts pulling up in even low-lying, flat, low-lying areas and starts rising and flooding uh, buildings. But it, So it, anywhere and everywhere in the state, it can flood, and people need to be prepared for that. When it comes to being prepared, 
I know there are different things you do for flooding, like filling sandbags, than you would for a potential earthquake or something else. But there are some that are the same across the disaster, right? Right, absolutely. Beginning with a family disaster plan, you know, uh, talking about what are you going to do if you're faced with any given scenario, any type of an emergency, we should we should have those all hazards plans. Um, and then having a disaster supply kit for everybody in the family, that's all those emergency essentials, food, water, clothing, tools, medications, um, special items that everyone might need in the event of an, a, a disaster, whether you have to leave the home, go to a shelter, something like that. Uh, Tim mentioned at the beginning food and water storage. We, I think we need to do more food and water storage in our homes if we have the capability. Um, having communications plans in place. How are we going to communicate with your loved ones in a disaster? Having that out-of-state telephone contact that can help relay messages back and forth. And then just knowing the protective actions. That's part of preparedness. And, and for flooding, we say turn around, don't, dr- uh, don't drown, go to higher ground if you're faced with like wanting to cross a fast-moving river or stream. You know, earthquake, we got shakeout coming up. That's uh, drop, cover, and hold on. So it's important to know how to survive the disaster in the first place so then we can then put our plans into action. Well, and I'm so glad you brought up communication because I think everybody just uh, counts on the fact that their cell phone is going to operate, but that may not be the case. Uh, in uh, those situations, you need some other form of communication. Right. And, and in a disaster, we uh, we believe that texting will be the most reliable if your phone is working, if the cell towers are still functioning, texting will be the most reliable. So, but having having someone out of state that can help relay messages even that way, another, uh, another element of our communications plans really is actually meeting places. Maybe we can't communicate by phone or whatever. We have a meeting place where we know we will go and look for each other there. One outside of our home in case of like a house fire or an earthquake, another one outside of the neighborhood in case we can't get back home or we were separated at the beginning of that emergency. It could be, you know, your school, your church, your favorite store, grandma's house across town, as long as everybody in the family knows where these meeting places are. And that's part of our plan. We will look for each other at these meeting places. That'll help us be reunited and give us peace of mind knowing that we can get together with our loved ones again. That sounds like a key part of the family plan. Is, th- is there anything else that should go in that family emergency plan? Um, knowing when and where to shut off utilities. After an earthquake, everybody thinks, I need to go shut the gas off to my house. No, only if you suspect a leak. If you actually have very you know, uh, severe structural damage to your home, then you would shut it off. Otherwise, we still want that natural gas, first of all, uh, you know, for a water heater, for uh furnace for a stove if we've got that so if we don't have to leave the home uh because it was damaged and we stay there we still want to be able to function with those things we saw how serious that uh was in the turkey syria quake in the middle of winter all those people first of all that were displaced from their homes and then those that did have homes you know worth were without heat so it, you know, know when and where to shut off your utilities is another important part of your communication plan. Yeah, and I think the gas company told us, actually, if everybody shut their gas off, it could cause a whole other problem down line. So it's something that uh, they also talk about. We just passed our third anniversary of uh, the 5.7 quake that happened out in the Magna area. Are we better prepared today than we were three years ago, do you think? Uh, I think so. First of all, awareness. So, you know, knowledge is power. And 
on, on the individual level, a lot of people have, have experienced an earthquake that never had before. It was very scary and frightening, and they didn't know what to do. So I think that awareness will help people realize that, that they need to learn more and, and prepare better. First of all, knowing that protective action. They didn't know what to do when, this, when they started uh, feeling the shaking. Drop cover and hold on. Get underneath a desk, a table, a chair. Hold on to the legs until the shaking stops to keep that cover overhead. The biggest cause of injury and death in an earthquake is from falling objects, not necessarily collapsing buildings. So drop cover and hold on is that proven protective action. You mentioned uh, the big, what did you call it, the quake, the earthquake? Shakeout. Shake yeah. Oh, the shakeout. Uh, the, great, the great Utah shakeout. Tell yeah. us more about that. Absolutely. So it's, it's kind of nicknamed the world's largest earthquake drill. And in Utah, that's April 20th this year. It's always the third Thursday of April, and this year that's April 20th. And we want to invite everybody around the state, wherever you're at uh, uh, that morning, usually it's 10, 15 in the morning, wherever you're at, to uh, conduct your own little one-minute earthquake drill. Imagine that you're feeling the shaking and duck under the kitchen table or the office desk or kneel down up against a wall that doesn't have any glass overhead like windows, mirrors, picture frames, and just kind of stay there until the shaking stops, that imaginary one shaking for that one minute. And then afterwards, get out of your, um, your shelter area, check on your family members, go outside to your meeting place, take accountability, make sure everybody was safe and okay. And practice these things. When we practice them, it becomes second nature when the real thing really happens. Yeah. And that's what you want is instinctively uh, reacting rather than emotionally reacting, for sure. Wade Matthews is the PIO for the Utah Division of Emergency Management. Thanks for your time, Wade. Where should people look to get more information online? Absolutely. For ShakeOut, shakeout.org slash Utah. We want everybody to register. We have a goal of a million people to participate. And uh, if they go to shakeout.org slash Utah, they can register there and help us uh, reach that goal. And, yes, we're in the middle of flooding, but it's still important. We could have an earthquake in the middle of this flood as well. So not that I can, I'm predicting anything, but there's always a possibility. Yeah. And there's, I, I got lots of information, too, at beready.utah.gov if you want to go to that website, too. Wade, thank you Absolutely. for your time. That, oh, my pleasure. Coming up in a minute, uh, Wade mentioned a minute ago that uh, talking about this quake along the Turkish-Syrian border, 7.8 happened in early February. Uh, that had us all shaken a little bit, uh, yeah. I think. And we actually have some guests coming up in this hour that have visited uh, that quake area. And so we're looking forward to finding out about what they found when they got there. This portion of KSL's conference special on emergency preparedness has been brought to you by Be Ready Utah. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.
You're listening to the hosts who wake up Utah each morning with important breaking stories, traffic, and weather. Join Utah's morning news on Monday from 5 to 9 on this station, KSL News Radio. Welcome back once again to this special hour. We are dedicating to uh, personal preparedness as an individual, as a family, as a community, or maybe you're a business owner out there and we're asking questions about how you can be better prepared for whatever life might throw at you. Tim Hughes and Amanda Dixon here from Utah's Morning News. I have always been amazed, impressed, touched, Tim, by the enormous amount of work that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints does to help people, not just here in our community or in our country, but all over the world, in especially in times of disaster. And I think uh, just with the earthquake that happened along the uh, Turkish and Syrian border, I've heard numbers in the $5 million range of aid that has gone that direction. We thought it would be instructive to... Uh, talk to some people that have actually been there and have been on the ground to see what those needs are. Maybe that will help us be better prepared here for what uh, comes our way. Of course, our last earthquake was three years ago and it was 5.7, but they've had aftershocks that Mm -hmm. big over there in Turkey. We are joined by uh, three gentlemen from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Gilles Francois is here, humanitarian specialist. Steve Dobb, manager of humanitarian services and emergency response. And Brian Pankratz is here, senior manager of humanitarian services. Hello, gentlemen. Hello. Hello. Gilles, let's start with you, because my understanding is that you've actually been there uh, to Turkey and seen some of the devastation. We should start by saying that hopefully we don't see that kind of damage here. Uh, there, there have been a lot of questions about their infrastructure and whether it was built properly. But I would imagine some of the needs on the backside of a quake like that 7.8 would be similar. I think, you know, the difference between what you have in Utah and what they have in, in Turkey is really the, the readiness. I think you will be more prepared in Utah than the way they were in Turkey prior to the, to the earthquake. And, uh, uh, you know, I was really, uh, really, uh, uh, impressed by the, the, uh, the scale of the devastation over there, the building that collapsed. And I'm talking about seven, 10, 12, 15 stories building that just were level to, uh, just a few, a uh, few meters high. And, uh, of course, you know, I went there like about a month and a few days after, after the, the earthquakes hit, but, uh, but there were still mountains of, uh, of ruins and rubles and, uh, the roads were clear, but, uh, on the sides, it was just devastation everywhere. And really some buildings seemed pretty modern and new, but still with huge cracks and unlivable. And some other buildings were, Maybe looked older, but we're still standing and we're still uh, inhabited by their, uh, by their residents, you know. So it's, uh, it's, it was, uh, striking to me to see that it was not really the age of the building, but it was mostly the construction that was the determining factor there. Mm. What kind of, of aid is the church providing over there, Bryant? Well, we're some things, Jill and his office there in Europe, they're working with the Turkish government provide some things that they've requested. But then we're also working with some NGOs, um, several different organizations that have a presence there that help us to be able to respond. Yeah, it's tough just to send money and not know, uh, you know, what's happening on the ground or not having trusted partners in those situations. So I would imagine that's first and foremost in your mind to put the, those resources in the hands of people that you know something about and they are well connected to the community itself. Yes, very much so. Um, you know, each disaster is, is unique. Um, situations are different. 
people are affected in different ways based on, you know, how how well their circumstances are. Some are more, more vulnerable to different events. And you have to go in and assess and really figure out what needs need to be met when there's a situation like this, because it's very different. That's why it's been great to have um, people like Gilles who have been able to go there and actually see what the needs are. May I ask you, Steve, how this effort on the Turkey-Syria border compares to other? I'm thinking about, you know, in Poly- in Polynesia and, and in the Philippines and in Indonesia. Um, how does this differ or it, does it differ at all from the church's aid in those uh, disasters? We, we approach the, the work of our disaster response similar in each case uh, by, by collecting assessments, uh, by getting boots on the ground as well, by working through our NGOs who often are first responders and are in the areas of devastation. Uh, immediately after uh, some of these organizations that we worked with were there within 24 hours after the first quake. And so really what we're looking at is to see where, where we can help with food, water, medical care, uh, the, what's called water sanitation hygiene, or wash in the industry, and and then psychosocial needs. Those are those are the types of aid that we we look to, to provide and to work with to uh, work with our NGOs and then directly. Of course, it differs because of the scale. Um, with Guanajuato, uh, for an example, currently was or recently was hit by two cyclones, um, Judy and Kevin, uh, both Category Four cyclones. Uh, back to back. And so, whereas in Turkey, you have such a, so many more people and population, of course, our response is going to be different than it is uh, moving forward in Vanuatu. And Vanuatu, of course, uh, being out there in the middle of the ocean <laughs> makes it a big challenge just to get it delivered to the places where it needed to go. I know that one of the instant efforts was to put things on ships that could actually even get close to ports that may have been damaged to the point of uh, not being able to pull in there, right? That's that's correct. And again, as we have here, look to the area, uh, our area office in New Zealand to help direct that and with the New Zealand government, Australian government uh, in response there. We have so many other questions uh, to pose, gentlemen. Please please don't go away. We are focusing this hour on emergency preparedness and specifically with our guests uh, about what the church is able to do to help people in emergency situations here in our country and all over the world. Stay with us. We'll come back after a news update. We'll get more for you here on KSL News Radio. This hour, prepare for the unexpected. You need to start by just having a plan, knowing what you need. A full hour on emergency preparedness, responding to and recovering from emergencies. The hosts for Prepared for the Unexpected are Tim Hughes and Amanda Dixon on KSL News Radio, 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Hope everyone's having a wonderful conference weekend. Tim Hughes and Amanda Dixon with you for this special hour when we're focusing on emergency preparedness and also on what the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints does all the time, all over the world, to help people, not just members of the church, but to help people 
who are in dire straits. We always feel lucky that we live in the shadows of uh, Temple Square here along the Wasatch Front, and that when those emergency comes, we have people at all posts, really, that are ready to serve the community. But it is certainly a blessing to those around the world. Uh, Gilles Francois is with us. Steve uh, Dobb is also here, and Bryant Pankratz. I want to go back to Gilles for just a minute here. Uh, it always begins, I'm sure, Gilles, with uh, food and water and then uh, shelter, Take us through what it was like in those early hours. I don't know at what point you were there, but in those early hours of uh, the needs of the people on the ground. Uh, the early hours is really the rescue teams that are there. You know, it's really the they have a few days just to recover the, the living out of the rubble. And uh, at the same time, you know, they try to you have teams. Afad is the basically the Turkish equivalent of FEMA in the U.S. So Afad is is really coordinating all the work over there. And uh, so in addition to providing assistance with the recovery and the rescue, they also start to organize supplies for food, for shelter, for water, for medicine, vaccinations, and so forth. And of course, you have to realize that the the area uh, in Turkey was about one-tenth of the whole territory of Turkey that was affected by the earthquake. So the scale was really huge. You can be prepared, you know, for some events, but... I mean, a big event like this, it was very difficult for, for Afad, who was really prepared to, to handle. And Turkey is a, is a very seismic area, but still it was, it was difficult for them to, uh, to face the situation. You had big cities, very large cities, like over a million people. And then, of course, hundreds of smaller cities and villages around. And uh, the capacity of the organization was, uh, was quickly, uh, overwhelmed with the scale of the of the very very serious earthquakes because it wasn't just one unfortunately there were several earthquakes and so and once after these few days after a week or 10 days you know then really the recovery is uh, is passed this is when really uh things kick in you know i mean there were 2.7 million people that were found homeless so you had to find shelter for these people the church was able to deliver in a, in a matter of weeks uh, tents, you know, because we we had already prov- uh, selected a vendor beforehand for tents, and they were able to respond quickly, and we were able to to ship them through a, a partnership with a, with a Turkish consulate in Frankfurt. So all these contacts, you know, all the pieces get together in times of uh, of crisis, and uh, and this is uh, you know the, the 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 key thing is here. It's not just to react, but also to have some sort of things prepared in advance. Mm. What do they need right now in, in Turkey or along that border of Turkey and Syria? There's still, there's still quite a few needs. Uh, as, as you can imagine, there are still many that are in congregate shelters uh, that are looking for, for new shelters uh, or opportunities to move into more of a private area. Uh, child protection comes into play there. Uh, as well as you have these families that are living together, uh, we want to make sure that there are the children are safe and protected, uh, avoid exploitation and other other problems that can come in these types of disasters. Um, of course, food and water is is immediate, um, but as we move forward, also psychosocial support is is quite a great need, especially in in Syria. Um, I was reading yesterday an article of a a woman in a Syrian woman who lost her family in the in the earthquake and psychologically has has not been able to process what happened, um, and so you get 
you get all of that and then you have what's called the stage of kind of an early recovery. So as you're responding to this disaster, you're also looking forward to, to what can help these individuals get back into homes or at least temporary shelters that could last for a year or two years uh, until until a lot of these buildings are, are restored and, and they can move into these apartments. Brian, we're, we're oh, go ahead, Jill. No, I just wanted to add that, the, you know, the trauma that uh, uh, that was mentioned just now by um, by Steve was uh, I, I was hearing a, a report from uh, one of our partner working in psychosocial support. He was uh, just telling a story of, of people who who were rescued from the rubbles after hours or days. And then they heard people shouting and screaming for help. And then the voices were just going down and down and down, and eventually the voices stopped. Mm. And they went through that. And it's children, it's it's family, and people were hearing their relatives. It's not just having to go through a death, it's hearing people dying around you. Yeah. And so, and that was really the, the trauma is even more severe that way. And And there were like hundreds of thousands of people who had to go through this very, very traumatic experience. Our reason for learning more and talking more about what's happening in Turkey and Syria was to maybe learn from lessons on the ground there. But certainly one of the main messages from the church for as long as I've been alive, I think, has been individual preparedness and family preparedness. Uh, That continues to be the case today because the fact is, in those early hours, in those early days, getting the help you need may not be able to get to you. So you need to be able to do that for yourself. That continues to be the message of the church. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, one of the things about that is if if we've taken care of ourselves to a, to a point where we can meet our basic needs, that usually puts us in a position to go and help someone else. You know, that's one of the, the great things that we see here in our community, that outreach that takes place when when um, something happens, some some sudden or unexpected event, but it's really important. Um, it can make a huge difference if you're if you're able to at least have some supplies or something. I mean, do something that would help you prepare to events that might be common to the area where you live. It make a big difference for you. Mm. Boy, I am just moved by what the church does all over the world. And I know in this country, too, we're focusing on an international issue today. But with all of the different hurricanes and floods and disasters we've had in this country, I know the outpouring has been uh, every bit as extraordinary. And the and the ability of individuals to donate their time and, and money to help uh, is, is also wonderful. Gentlemen, we appreciate your time today. And thanks for the work that I know you uh, do and uh, the concern that you have for not just members, but uh, general uh, society around the world when these situations come up. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Coming up in a minute, uh, Brandon Erickson will help us wrap up this hour. He's a vice president of sales with Ready Wise Utah. We're going to talk about food and water storage and some of the other things that they may be able to help you with to make sure your family's ready for the next whatever it is <laughs> that comes our way. We've come to expect the unexpected. Stay with us. Our final segment is coming up next. On Monday morning, the hosts of this Emergency Preparedness Hour bring you news and updated information about the community. Tim Hughes and Amanda Dixon, weekdays 5 to 9 on KSL News Radio. Welcome back to this conference special. Tim Hughes along with Amanda Dixon. And this portion of KSL's conference special on emergency preparedness is brought to you this morning by ReadyWise Survival Food. And joining us now on the KSL Newsline, Brandon Erickson, the VP of Sales at ReadyWise. How are you, Brandon? 
Doing well. Thanks so much for having me. This is such an important topic. And I think as people have been listening to our show today, they're thinking, well, what what do I need to do? Just give me a list and I'll, and I'll get to it because we know there are extreme weather events and, and other events that will cause us to need to be self-sufficient. So where do we start, Brandon? Yeah, I think, first of all, you need to start by just having a plan, knowing um, what you need. And obviously, ReadyWise provides a variety of different options related to food, but also water and power. Um, having an, emergen- an, an emergency food storage with 25-year shelf life will really check the box for providing your family with peace of mind. Um, and we really urge people to, to try and have at least a three-month supply of food. And then in addition to that, we have water storage and water filtration options, um, even some generators that are even powered by, by, by solar panels. We've had you on Utah's Morning News a couple of times, and I know when we ask, how should we get started, the answer is always, get started. <laughs> that, that seems to be the biggest thing is just uh, however you're going to do it, whether that's with water, whether that's with food, that you actually take the step to get started. Yeah, there's there's a lot of different ways um, to get started as well. Obviously, we, we understand that, that budget may restrict some, and so we have options where you can start out with a three-day plan and build that up to a three-month supply or a year's supply. Um, we have a variety of ways to, to help people get started. You can go to readywise.com forward slash radio today to see some of the promotions. You can also call 855-95-READY to speak to some of our product specialists that can walk you through different options that that both fit you know, the requirements for your family and also fit the requirements for your budget. Um, we do have payment options as well to, to kind of get you started and have a, a monthly payment option where you can kind of build build up what you want to have on hand. You know, I was just reading in the Deseret News this week about how if we were to have a, a big earthquake here in Utah, it's possible that our drinking water would be interrupted for as long as 90 days, maybe even longer. And I thought, I wonder how many people have 90 days worth of drinking water at home. Yeah, that's really, really hard to store. We do have these uh, really great 55-gallon um, water storage drums, but it's also um, important to have some water filtration options as well. Uh, we have these 28-ounce uh, water filtration bottles that will um, filter out 99.9% of the contaminants out of a stream, out of a lake. Um, and so those those are really uh, cost-effective. They're normally twenty nine ninety nine. With today's promo code that we're offering listeners, KSL 20, they can get 20% off of that and all of our food items. Uh, and so, so that's a great way to have on hand. And that's a great point, uh, Amanda, is you have to have water. I, I want to talk about the food specifically here for a minute. But, you know, we always think in terms of big uh, cataclysmic natural disasters. It doesn't have to be that. Uh, we learned through uh, the pandemic that supply chain issues can slow you right. down. Inflation makes it tough to get groceries at the store sometimes. And those are all answered with the uh, food storage you could have downstairs. That is so tasty. You won't even I mean, <laughs> your kids will be hesitant to go back to mom's meals, I think. <laughs> Yeah, it's so tasty and so easy to prepare. And we have a variety of different options that would fit dietary needs. We do have gluten-free options. We even have organic food storage as well with, with meals and fruits um, that you could buy if you have a preference for organic items. But these are regular meals. These are formulated by chefs. 
Um, all you have to do is add water. Hot water is definitely preferred because it rehydrates quicker, and obviously it tastes better when it's warm. And I just want to thank you for helping me get started. Back to your point earlier, Tim, about how the, you know you, people put it off, and then they feel guilty that they don't have an, an, enough food storage or any food storage. So it's hard to jump in. But I talked to Brandon, I don't know how long ago it was, after he, we, he was on our morning show. And he just asked me, how many people in your family? Well, you know, what's the budget? And then you can just get in. Yeah, and so I know that you package these uh, in a nice way, too. Do you have, if I remember right, there were backpacks or something that had uh, a number of days or a number of uh, weeks uh, food storage? Yeah, we have a variety of different options in which we package. Um, so the food, and just so the listeners know, uh, we're based here in Salt Lake. We manufacture and produce all the product here uh, just on the west side of town um, near the airport. And so typically the meals are in four serving pouches. They either go inside of, of a 5.3-gallon bucket or a 4.25-gallon bucket, depending on which variety you have. Or we do have backpack kits that you can say, oh, I'd like a three-day backpack kit. I'd like uh, a couple of those to, to make one week that come with a variety of different um, survival options, everything from a Mylar blanket to water filtration tablets to a first aid kit. So those are great ways um, if you're just getting into being prepared. Um, those will check a lot of the boxes in terms of having a 72-hour kit with kind of everything you need, um, even even above and beyond food. So go to our website and check out. There's There's a whole variety of ways to get done. We do have product specialists that have worked here for a long time that are experts in the field that can walk you through a lot of different options if you call 855-95-READY, and they'll help you and, and be glad to assist and answer any questions and, and make sure that the, the promo codes are applied correctly at checkout. The, the time is almost gone. Remem- remind us, Brandon, how do we get that 20% discount? Yeah, the promo code we have for your listeners today is KSL20. You can use that at readywise.com forward slash radio to see all the deals specifically for the listeners or enter that promo code with any item at checkout or call 855-95-READY and speak to one of our product specialists and they'll happily assist you with answering any questions and helping you put an order in over the phone. But take that first step today for you, your family, your business, your school, as a matter of of fact. Brandon, thanks for your time. Thanks so much for having me. Brandon Erickson, the Vice President of Sales at ReadyWise. And this portion of KSL's conference special on emergency preparedness brought to you by ReadyWise Survival Food. We uh, have enjoyed the hour we spent with you. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you, Tim. That was great fun. And uh, stick around. More great coverage on this conference weekend live from Temple Square coming up. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.